This morning we're going to continue on in the book of John. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 6. We're going to wrap up uh, John chapter 6 this morning. And uh, then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what Jesus did at the end of this amazing discourse. This discourse about I am the bread of life and uh, where he does all these miracles of feeding the 5,000. We're going to talk this morning uh, about... Uh, about Jesus and the things that he said. So how many of you are, are just amazed when you look at the history of smoking in this country? The history of smoking in the country. In, in the 50s, here's an advertisement from the 50s. Smoke a fresh cigarette. Doctors recommend that you relax with a cigarette. Isn't that amazing? That was, I mean, that was actually uh, an advertisement in the 50s. Uh, My doctor has never recommended a pack of camels. My my doctor has never recommended that. And and doctors were, were actually advertising. This wasn't made up. They were actually advertising the benefits of smoking in the 30s and 40s and 50s. They were talking about all of the great value that it could have in your life. And a lot of folks that do continue to smoke, it's amazing to me that there are, there are 37 and a half million smokers in our country. One, it was 15 out of every 100 adults. So it's like 15% of our country smokes. But here's the interesting thing. 20% of the deaths in our country are attributed to smoking. And so in 1964, the Surgeon General published a report, which was the very first time the government had ever acknowledged that smoking is bad for you. And then in 1965, the Surgeon General put a warning label on cigarettes. And the warning label has changed a little bit over the years. But here's what it says now. It's the Surgeon General's warning. Smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, and may complicate pregnancy. So the, 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 the warning label on cigarettes has been there for, for, what, 50 years. And people still smoke. People still smoke. And people get upset when you talk about smoking. Why are you picking on smokers? Well, because the Surgeon General says it's going to kill you. How many of you hear something and we don't like it and so we, we just don't know what to do with it? Or we get upset about it. We, we, we say, ah, forget it. This is literally on thousands and thousands of packs of cigarettes. There's not a little smoking that'll kill you. Any smoking's going to kill you. And so this is such an interesting thing, how people respond when they hear something that they don't like. When they hear something they don't like. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, uh, towards the end, we're going to start in verse 60. Starting in verse 60. 60. Here's what, uh, here's what we're faced with, really, because the, the people hear something they don't like from Jesus. They hear something they don't like, and so it brings them to a crossroad. They hear something they don't like, and they've got to decide, what are they going to do? What are they going to do when Jesus tells them something that they're not sure what to do with? And so here's what it says, starting in verse 60, we're just going to go to verse uh, 71. It says, on hearing it, many disciples said, and just in case you weren't here last week, it says on hearing it, it was talking about Jesus. Jesus in the previous uh, portion of this chapter said, I am the bread of life. The only way you get eternal life is through eating my flesh. The only way that you, I am the only bread that you need to, to sustain you. So Jesus tells them this big thing, which is a huge thing in the Jewish culture because they didn't understand what he was saying. But he said, the only, the only way to eternal life is through me, is what he said. And so on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? 
Then what if you see the man of the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that, you, that no one comes to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave me too, Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is the devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, through one of the twelve, was later, although one of the twelve later was to betray him. Verse 60, or I'm sorry, verse 61, when you, eh, 60, when you look at it in the message, I love what it says. This is a tough teaching, too tough to swallow. How many of you have ever gone to the doctor and they've given you a medication, they've given you a medication and a pill that's about that big? What do we call that? We call it a horse pill, don't we? We call it a horse because the only people that can swallow it is a horse. Right? And we look at it and go, I can't, I can't do anything with that. I can't do anything with this. And that's exactly where the disciples. Now, understand, they said disciples. He said the disciples. And oftentimes we think of the 12, and he references the 12. But these were people that were followers of Jesus. And he said, this is how you get to heaven. This is the way to eternal life. And they say... Man, this is, a, this is a tough teaching. Too tough to swallow. Too tough to swallow. You know, we, we like people that say nice things to us, don't we? We have a tendency to like people that say nice things to us. They tell us we look good, tell us we're doing a good job. They tell us that we're doing, how many of you with kids, your kids ask you all the time, am I doing a good job? Yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. Now, your kids feel a little differently about you when you say, no, you're not doing that good. It's a lot like when we go to the doctor. When we go to the doctor, if we go to our doctor and they, 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 at the end of the appointment they say, hey, you're doing a great job, we'll see you next year. We'll see you next year. When we go to the doctor, we've got a slide here that's got a doctor. There we go. See you next year. See you in a year. We feel great. We go, I got the best doctor. I got the best doctor because they just, they told me what I wanted to hear, right? So that's what, we, we think we got a good doctor, right? Well, if we go there and they say, you know what, you need to lose some weight and exercise more. We still got a good doctor. I just don't like him as much, right? I just don't like him as much because they told us a little something I, di- I didn't really want to hear. Now, what if they, they, they get a little more serious on this and said, we, we really need to discuss your diet or the lack of one. Uh, they, we, they, we, then we start, well, now you're getting a little personal, doc. Now you went from see you next year to we, you, know, talk, you need to diet, and you need to exercise and eat better. You know, that's, that, you're like, well, that's the general. Fo- now they're getting specific. When they start getting specific about you need to stop eating fried chicken, whoa, whoa, you're meddling. You are meddling. I had a, I had a gal in my class, one of my classes I was teaching one time, she said her favorite food was fried chicken, but her doctor told her never to eat it again because she had high cholesterol. I said, do you still eat fried chicken? She goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many times our doctor tells us to quit doing stuff. We just, hey, you know what I'm going to do. Well, let's say, now, now, now the doctor's starting to get serious. They look at it and say, hey, we, we, need to, we need to talk about some medication. Ooh. I don't feel so good about my doctor anymore, do I? I don't like it. Now, now when the doctor looks at us and says, 
we, uh, you need to make some major changes in your life. We don't look at those as good doctor's appointments, do we? We walk out of that and we say, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't really care for that doctor's appointment. I might need to find a new doctor. How many of you ever changed a doctor because you didn't like what they said? No, we don't change doctors just because they said something we don't like. We don't do that. But oftentimes, when we're faced with bad news or difficult information, we have three choices. Are we going to accept it? Are we going to reject it? Or are we just going to ignore it? Which one are we going to do? If our doctor tells us that we need to do some more exercise, right? We need to, we need to lose weight and exercise. Oftentimes, we'll hear it and we'll say, Doc, I believe you. You're right. You know, I, I do notice that I need to do that. But we never do anything with it. We never do anything with it. We've, we've just, maybe consciously or subconsciously, we've made the choice to ignore what the doctor said. Now, the doctor wasn't just making stuff up. The doctor wasn't just trying to get us to change our life so that they could feel better about themselves. Our, our doctor does give us recommendations for our best health, right? But how many of us, we just ignore what our doctors say? Like, no, Doc, that, that's the gal in my class that said, I, yeah, I still eat fried chicken all the time. I, it's my favorite food. But if the doctor tells you, if you keep on eating fried chicken, you're going to die, how many of us say, well, mate, how much, how, much, how much fried chicken can I eat and not die? Can I eat a little fried chicken? Like, is once a month okay? It's like when I was, I was 16 years old, I pinched a nerve in my back playing golf. And uh, I got stuck like this for a week. It's the weirdest thing to walk into. Try, try to put your pants on like this. That's hard, right? For a week, I was like that. Went to a chiropractor. The, doc, the doctor told me, you need to quit playing golf. Well, I'm here to tell you that I did not quit playing golf. I looked at my, I, I chose, I, ch- I mean, I consciously decided to ignore what my doctor said. And, you know, now I can still play golf. I don't have any back pain, so I think the doctor was making stuff up. But sometimes we go to the doctor and we think that, don't we? The doc is just telling, especially when they start talking about medication, right? We need to put you on some blood pressure medication. We need to put you on something to control your cholesterol. We need to put you, we start thinking, you're getting a kickback from the drug company, aren't you? You're not telling me this for me, you're telling me this for you. You just want me. And we start justifying things in our head. We start, we, we, we don't want to necessarily say, doc, I know you've gone to medical school. I know you did an eight-year internship. I know you have, you know, thousands of dollars in student loans that you're still trying to pay off. But I don't believe you because I've looked at WebMD. And I know all I need to know. This is where the disciples were. They had to choose to do. They either had to accept what Jesus said, they had to reject it, or they had to ignore it. So the question is, What do you do when Jesus says something you don't like? What do you do when Jesus says something you don't like? Now, there's some simple, there's some sayings of Jesus that are pretty easy. I thought I'd I'd throw an easy, easy saying of Jesus up there. I'd throw an easy saying of Jesus. You know, it's Matthew 19, 18. Do not murder. Check. Jesus, that one's easy. I have never had the inclination to actually, I mean, we've all said it. If you do that again, I'm going to kill you. We don't actually mean it, do we? We don't have that inclination. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. The the, the false testimony gets a little hard for some of us. 
But we look at it and say, Jesus, that's easy, right? We can live by those things. But what do you do when Jesus says something that's hard? What do you do with the hard sayings of Jesus? We've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. It's in, in Matthew 16, 24. Deny yourself. Tell yourself, literally it means, tell yourself no and pick up a burden. Wow. Well, Jesus, that's, that's a little hard. Now, when Jesus says, love your enemies, Matthew 5, 44, we look at it and say, love your enemies. No, I might tolerate them, but that annoying person at work, I want nothing to do with them. If they walked out in front of a bus tomorrow, my office life would be better. Well, that, that's, that's a hard one. Love your enemies. Jesus said, forgive not seven times, but 77 times. How many of you say, you know what, I can hold a grudge forever? Forever. My dad, he tells, he tells us as a kid, when he was a kid, he got kicked out of school all the time uh, for fighting. For fighting. Because my, my dad, he said, he has a very short temper. Yeah, he's, he's better now, but... Um, He's, you know, at 70 years old, he's calmed down quite a bit, which is good. But when he was a kid, he got kicked out of school all the time for fighting because when he was mad, he was mad right then. Ten minutes later, he was going to be calm. But right then, he didn't hold a grudge, but he got in a fight. But some of us can hold a grudge forever. We can hold a grudge for so long that we forget what we're mad about. Have you ever done that? We're in a fight. About what? I have no idea, but I'm mad at you. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, forgive not seven times, but 77 times. And let me tell you, if you've got a little tally mark in your notebook that says, okay, I have forgiven them 76 times, the next one's the last one. You're totally missing the point of what Jesus said. You cannot serve both God and money. Oh, now you're meddling. Now we're meddling, we're talking about money again. No, listen, listen, Matthew 6, 24, here's Jesus saying, Jesus saying that we can't have two loves in our life. You either love God or you don't. Matthew 19, 19, love your neighbor. You know, in today's uh, society, day and age, you pull into your garage, you get out of your car, you never actually talk to your neighbor. You don't actually have to see them. But if we look at the message of the Good Samaritan, the message of the Good Samaritan, the question was, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? The person in need. That's my neighbor. But we've gotten really good at not, not doing that. Now, I want you to understand here, um, if you don't like a couple of these things, I'm sorry, but Jesus said them. And so we've got the question of, what do you do when Jesus says something you don't like. What do you do? Blessed are those that are persecuted. Matthew 5.10. Listen, I do not want to be persecuted. I want it easy sailing, right? I would rather not have that blessing. We look at it and say, you know what, God, can we just avoid the persecution? How much fried chicken can I eat and not die? How much of your teachings can I hold on to and still make it to heaven? How close can I skirt it and not really buy the whole thing? How close can I get? Love each other as I have loved you, John 13, 
34. Listen, there are literally hundreds of sayings. There are hundreds of commands that Jesus gives. But we're really good about grabbing on to the ones that we like and choosing to do the same thing that we did with the doctor. Accept it, reject it, or ignore it. Now, very few of us would reject the saying of Jesus. Very few of us would actually reject something that the Bible says and Jesus said. But we might have uh, the gift of forgetfulness. And we will choose to ignore what Jesus said. It's much like your kids when they tell you, when you tell them to clean up their room and they're focused on another task and five minutes later you're like, what did I just tell you? They're like, I don't know. I told you to clean up your room. Oh. They ignored it. How many of us ignore teachings of Jesus because they're hard? They're inconvenient. They're inconvenient. The inconvenient, that would be a wonderful uh, sermon series, wouldn't it? The inconvenient sayings of Jesus. Love your neighbor. Whew. That's not how we live today, is it? No, actually, I think the, the lines of separation in our society today are growing deeper. I think they're growing bigger. I think we're getting further and further apart. How do you deal with that person on Facebook that has a different political position than you. They believe something differently than you. Do you flame them? Like just troll, or do you troll them? You know, do you make random, do you, do you get into fights and arguments? That person that doesn't agree with your belief in Jesus that you work with, do you show them love? Do you avoid them? That person that speaks poorly of you, do you speak poorly of them? Do we love? Do we allow ourselves to be persecuted? Listen, there's all sorts of sayings of Jesus that are not easy to live. They're hard. No one said they're easy. No one said they're simple. You know, and oftentimes we, we sometimes we, we forget the depth of what Jesus did and what Jesus showed us and how Jesus lived. And when we do that, we might not consciously make the decision, but we often are rejecting Jesus because we only want to hold on to the things that we find convenient, that we find easy to live with. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. And here's what we see. Here's what we see in John 6, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. These were disciples. This wasn't just a crowd of people. This was people that they came to church every week. They were regular attenders. They participated along with Jesus in life. They followed him around. In, in John chapter 6, there's a progression. In John chapter 6, this goes over several days. This wasn't just like one day in the life of Jesus. This was over several days that are covered. And so these are people that have followed Jesus. Actually, we can see the progression. John, show me the, the next slide there. It says, so in John, in John, this is just in chapter 6. 
to give you an idea of what happened in John chapter 6. They followed Jesus. Verse 2, it shows us that. They, they come to him in verse 5. They hailed him as the prophet in verse 14. They tried to make him king in verse 15. They looked for him and found him, verses 24 and 25. But now they had turned back. They followed him because of the great miracles. He fed them. They thought it was amazing. They wanted to make him king because he had made them full. But then he said something they didn't like. And what did they do? Dude, we're out of here. And they turned back from Jesus. These weren't casual acquaintances. These were disciples of Jesus They had followed him. They had seen the miracles that he had done. They had seen and heard his teaching. But when he said something they didn't like, they rejected him. They rejected him. You say, Jesus, I would never do that to you. But we choose to ignore Jesus' teaching all the time. We choose to reject Jesus all the time. In verse 67, Jesus asked the 12, Jesus said, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's what Peter said, essentially. No one offers what you do. No one has what you have. No one has this. You know, in the book of John, nowhere are the 12 disciples named as the 12. You know, it just, he just all of a sudden, this is the first reference. It says, Jesus asked the 12. And John assumes, do you know who the 12 are? Now, we know who the 12 are because we've got the entire gospel. But he says the 12. And we know that the 12 are a special designation. They're the closest followers of Jesus. And Jesus says, you want to leave me too, don't you? But Peter says, no, no one offers what you have. No one offers what you have. These disciples that turned away from Jesus, they had seen all of the things that the 12 had seen. But they they still chose to walk away. But Peter says, no, no one has what you have. And then the second thing he says, you are God. You are God. No one has what you have and you are God. Why would we leave you? Where would we go? Where would we go? So when we look at that, where would we go? What choice are we presented if we're followers of Jesus and Jesus says something we don't like? Here's our option. We get to accept it. We don't get to reject it. We don't get to ignore it just because it's hard. Just because it's difficult, we don't get to just kick it out. It's like we said last week. Jesus was challenging the people that had followed him. He was trying to determine, are you a potential disciple or an actual disciple? Those that turned and walked away, they weren't actual disciples. We've got people that go to churches every week, and the only time they do anything remotely Christian-oriented is on Sunday. Listen, Sunday is just such a small portion of your week. You're here for an hour and a half. An hour and a half of your week is church. 
Unless you come on Wednesday nights, then you get three hours. The rest of your time, you're out in the wild. You're out in the world. We're not checking up on you. Jesus is asking, are you an actual disciple or are you a potential disciple? Actual disciples accept the hard sayings of Jesus, the hard teachings of Jesus, and they say, Lord, I might not yet be there. I might not yet have gotten all the way there because Jesus never asked for, for, for perfection, but he does ask for us to challenge ourselves and to grow. What's to say? Die to ourselves daily. Why? Because there, is, there are some of the things that Jesus teaches that are hard. Loving my enemies. Listen, it's easy to love somebody that loves me. It is hard to love somebody who does not love me. It is hard to love somebody that antagonizes me. It is hard to love somebody that mocks me. It's hard to love somebody that does not celebrate me. But... Even though it's hard, the Bible's very clear, it's not optional. We talked about it on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. The Bible tells us to go and make disciples. I'm not saying that everyone has to be a street evangelist. Sometimes we say, I'm shy. I don't like talking to new people. The Bible tells us we're to declare his goodness, to share the testimony of what he's done in our life. It might be uncomfortable, but it's not optional. There's certain things that the Bible says that we might not do naturally. Most of the things the Bible says we don't do naturally, but it's not optional things for us to do. It might mean we have to work a little harder at it. But here's the glorious thing. Here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to do it on our own. We don't do it on our own. Because on my own, I cannot be righteous. On my own, I cannot live the life that Jesus has called me to live. On my own, I will always, always, always fail. But with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, what we have to learn to do is to embrace the hard things of Jesus. Embrace the hard things of Jesus and trust him to sustain us. We need to live a spirit-filled life. What's it say in 663? It says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The word I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. If I try and do it on my own, I'm trying to live by my flesh. But if I allow the Spirit of God to dwell in me, to fill me up, to encourage me, to make my source the Spirit of God, if I do that, then I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do it on my own. The sayings of Jesus are too hard to live on my own. It's like what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. I think it's one of the most powerful portions of Scripture. Starting in verse 1, Romans chapter 8, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it is weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires the mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God it does not submit to God's law nor can it do so those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God I can't do it on my own you however you however are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh. It is not to the flesh to living according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. The Spirit of God empowers us to live the hard sayings of Jesus. We can't do it on our own. The disciples that heard Jesus say, I am. I am the bread that never runs out. I am the bread of life. I am your way to be in the presence of God. The disciples that heard that and turned away, the Spirit of God did not live in them. We cannot do it on our own. Living a Spirit-filled life means that we invite the Holy Spirit, to strengthen us and encourage us and to make us rely on Jesus every single day. Because if I live according to my flesh, it's death. It's death. John felt it so very necessary that we understood in chapter 6, he ends out these these. The, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, Jesus is teaching about being the bread of life. He ends it out. He could have stopped right there when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, because it's a phenomenal teaching. It's powerful teaching. But rather, John felt the need to explain to us the impact of Jesus' teaching. Because there are those that will hear the teachings of Jesus and they can't accept it. 
they'll reject it or they'll ignore it. And oftentimes the reason we reject it or we ignore it is because we look at it and say, how in the world can I ever live up to that standard? How in the world can I do what he's asking? And the answer is you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. Who of us is righteous? None of us are righteous on our own. But John wanted to make sure we understood what Jesus said. Spirit-filled living is how we live the life that Jesus has called us to. Will you stumble? Yes. Will you fall? Yes. Will Jesus pick you back up? Yes. Will the Spirit help you do better next time? Yes. Is it possible by God's grace and with His help? Yes. We're never going to be perfect on our own, but Jesus never asks us to be perfect. He asks us to be humble and submitted to Him. So my encouragement to you today When you hear a teaching of Jesus, it's hard. That you don't necessarily want to do. Submit to the Holy Spirit. Accept it. Don't be like the disciples that said this is too tough to swallow. A church that is filled with the Spirit of God is a living, vibrant bride that eagerly anticipates the return of the bridegroom, filled with joy and excitement because we know that Jesus is our source and the Spirit is our strength and we can rejoice in the Lord because this is the day that the Lord has made. He made it for me. He made it for you. I can be filled with the joy of the Lord if I'm filled with the Spirit of God because even though I'll fail, even though I'll stumble, even though I'll make mistakes, God will sustain me. There is no condemnation. We don't live by the law. We live by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel as though you have just been a constant disappointment and a failure in life, it might be true. But the reality is God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he wants the best for you. And he wants you to be with him and to live with him. And he wants you to be filled with joy that comes from being filled with his spirit. Let's live as spirit-filled people. Amen.